Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Princeton University Press Ideas Podcast, a joint production of Princeton University Press and the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, and today I'm speaking with Ben Woldowski, author of the book, The Career Arts, Making the Most of College, Credentials, and Connections. Ben, welcome to the New Books Network. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Well, thanks for agreeing to be on our podcast. I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself. Sure. Well, I guess the, the, the brief story is I am a visiting scholar at the University of Virginia School of Education and Human Development, but I'm definitely not a traditional academic. Um, I spent the first 20 years or so of my career as a journalist and um, ended up focusing on a lot of education work, uh, particularly higher education. I was the editor of the U.S. News and World Report College Guides. Uh, among other things. And then I ended up moving into various nonprofits, think tanks, a university, um, and ended up doing book writing and a lot of other work really focused on higher education. And increasingly, I got very interested in the connections between higher education and the workforce. So what led you to write a book talking about uh, the career arts and, and the pathways that lay open to students today? You know, I did spend some time sort of trying to to think back and you know, it, of course, it's a long story, but basically, you know, I had a very long-standing interest in, you know, all kinds of aspects of higher education, from the kind of sometimes the crazy admissions process to, you know, the the um, you know the the whole um, you know the value of higher education in in terms of people's you know future earnings and so forth, um, and you know, I always found it was a really fascinating area, but. I didn't really focus a lot on the connection between higher education and careers. Um, but then I began to find, you know, some years ago that, you know, people were almost treating education and like practical job, you know, preparation as totally different tracks. And it really didn't make sense to me because I knew that oh, the evidence showed all the earnings benefits of education, but people were treating it as if you sort of had a choice between going to college that was going to be some kind of an ivory tower experience where you'd be reading Plato or something for four years or going out and, you know, doing something really practical, you know, or going to trade school. And I just felt like it was fundamentally a, a false choice. And that I started writing, you know, some things like little blog posts and I began following the issue. I ended up working uh, for a couple of years at a place called Strata Education Network. It's, it's now Strata Education Foundation which focuses on college and uh, post-secondary to career uh, pathways. And that led me to learn even more about it. So eventually I sort of went from just feeling like I wanted to do a, you know, to, to write, you know, in defense of college, which, which I still believe, but I also saw that there's so much skepticism about college and there's so much concern about the economic returns. And we still have this framework for a lot of people about there being some kind of a choice between like a very academic college experience versus something that has real practical value in the working world, I thought it would be really useful to kind of systematically go through the evidence, try and give people guidance about, you know, why college matters, but also if you're not going to go to college, which is of course true for many people, what are the ways that you should think about building up the kinds of education and skills that you're going to need to, to get ahead over a, a long career. That's one of the things I appreciated most about your book was the way you break out of this this binary way of thinking uh, 
about uh, the the options that are available. And, and that's where you get to, and you begin that in your first chapter where you talk about the the big questions. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that that framing and, and how it is that that people might best today think about those questions of uh, what to do about college and 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 what in and and how best to 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 achieve what they want to in their professional lives. Sure. I mean, you know, basically, I guess the, the big framework would be that, you know, for, for many, you know, probably 100 years, you know, certainly for decades, Americans, I'd say, have, have really generally embraced college as a really important pathway to upward mobility, to getting ahead in life. Um, and they followed through on that. You know, our gradual college has become possible for more and more people. By um, just a couple of years ago in 2021, the percentage of Americans who had a four-year degree or, or higher was greater than it ever had been before. It was 37.8%. And that's in, in addition, perhaps 10% of, of American adults have, have community college, two-year uh, associate degrees. So there has been a real belief in college. But if you look at the, the surveys, and frankly, if you just listen to the kind of discussions people are having with their friends and with their families, there's a lot of anxiety about whether higher education is really worthwhile. You know, there was a Gallup poll that came out a few months ago in July of 2023 that found confidence in higher education fallen to a new low of 36%. Um, and that's down from 50, 54% in 2015. And it's really at a, at a historic low. And we're also seeing college enrollment has really gone down. And that was partly the pandemic. But, um, you know, it's it's continued, particularly in community colleges and um to more more kind of open access four-year schools. So I'm terribly worried about this because I feel like there's people who could really benefit the most from education after high school are often not being really, not really seeing the value in something that really has the potential to help them get ahead. So, you know, what I would sort of say in terms of framing this is that I think that people need to understand that it isn't like you mentioned this sort of false dichotomy. It isn't, you know, college versus something practical that will help you with a job. It's that all the evidence shows that college, you know, has a very significant um, impact on, you know, average earnings. And it, it's quite true that those are averages and there are lots of shortcomings of higher education. You know, the graduation rates are not nearly what they should be. There's a lot of work to be done there. But I don't think that the solution is to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think the solution is to work harder on getting more people into college, particularly people from disadvantaged backgrounds, and help them stay the course and get through college. And then, you know, I guess just finally on this sort of overview, if you are going to come up, if you are going to look at alternatives to college, which of course many people want to do for all kinds of reasons, I think that you just have to understand you are still going to need all kinds of skills, you know, after high school. And some of those are going to be broad skills, like everything from writing to other kinds of communication, things that are going to help you navigate different kinds of jobs over longer lifetimes. And then some of them are the more, more targeted skills, whether that's, you know, graphic design or computer languages or whatever it is. But those tend to change, you know, fairly quickly. They have what people call a, a fairly short half-life. So you don't, I think, want to get stuck in preparing for something that's very, very specialized and thinking that that skill is going to keep you, you know, safe career-wise for many years. You have to be prepared to 
acquire new skills over time, sort of have that learning mentality. And then the third thing I'll say, um, which I discuss at some length in the book, is social capital, which is really about building networks and having access to professional networks, because really getting a degree or getting a very targeted skill is necessary, but it's not sufficient because you really need to have information about the job market, what jobs are out there, and that involves having a, a personal network. And you also need to have people who know you and who can vouch for you and who can tell others that you really are going to be a good person to hire, a good person to promote. So it's really this combination that I'm talking about, the, the broad education, the broad skills, also the targeted skills that are needed for very specific kinds of jobs, and also social capital, which is the the, the, the strong networks that are going to help you take what you've learned and put it to work in the real world. You go into each of these in uh, your subsequent chapters, and, and I'd like to it, it, have you expand upon it in, in a bit. In particular, uh, I want to start with, the, with your with your chapter on degree value, because it's one that I, I think is especially relevant given uh, so much of the of the discourse nowadays, especially you know, with with concerns about the cost of college, which, which oftentimes uh, contribute to this argument that a degree isn't worth as much as it used to be. That that you know, yes, you may get this return, but you have to spend so much. And, and of course, there's this this framing of well, you know, you go two hundred thousand dollars in debt to get uh, a, a a degree and you know, the social psychology koala bears and how that has no value for you in the workforce. So why yeah. waste that money? And and you you push through a, a lot of that, of that, of, of that and, and address a lot of it directly. And, and, and to, to make a, a case that, you know, College degrees still have enormous value, and, and, and it's something that that we can prove, uh, you know, through uh, you know through quantitative evidence. Yeah, that's right, and I think that is important for people to understand. You know, there's something. Look, there's a lot of ways. I love the sociology or the, the koala bear example, and it's true. There, there is, in, in a funny way, like the public perceptions. I think are really influenced, sort of by. The, the culture wars, and sometimes that could be like, you know, issues of like cancel culture and free speech on campus, or it might be issues of people might study some subjects that seem kind of obscure. You know, I'm, I may be a little sensitive on that. I studied comparative literature myself, right? So it wasn't the most obviously practical subject. But the fact is, you know, I mean, one one thing to begin with is that, you know, if you look at what are the most popular majors, and I discuss these, you know, in some detail in the book, you know, most people are not, you know, sitting around uh, a, a seminar table, you know, studying philosophy for four years. You know, that's not what most people want. People go to college, by and large, to get better jobs, to advance professionally. And the very popular majors are things like business, which, you know, could include everything from finance to accounting to marketing. Things like, um, of course, computer science has gotten super popular, um, nursing, teaching, you know, a lot of things that are very much not ivory tower, but they do include, of course, some general education requirements at most colleges, which I think is a good thing that helps you build some of the general skills. But you also get some very targeted professional skills. And just going back to the sort of the basic question you asked about the, the financial benefit, you know, right now, on average, you know, college graduates earn about 75 percent more each year than their peers who have just a high school diploma. And, you know, that that's a, just a very, very uh, arresting number. I think it's true it's an average, and it does vary a lot depending on what subject you study. Um, there's also some subjects where people, you know, may, may earn more earlier in their career, like 
the STEM subjects, the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, people talk about a lot. But there's also some research showing that if you if you look over a few decades, people with more liberal arts kind of backgrounds tend to catch up. So, you know, that's the basic, you know, the basic economics are very positive. Now, one of the big challenges, and this gets to your, your point about student debt, the real problem is the many people who start college and don't finish, and they end up with debt, but no degree. And what that means is they don't have the earnings advantage that typically comes with a college degree, but they have student debt. Now, despite what you read sometimes, and you know, and I'm a former journalist, so I'm not bashing the media, but the media headlines, they'll talk about somebody who had two hundred dollars or $300,000 in debt. That simply is not representative. That's an outlier. You know, a lot of people who graduate from four-year schools, I, I, I believe it's something like um, a third or so don't have any debt at all. Of those who remain, I believe the average debt is somewhere in the $30,000 range for a four-year degree. You know, that's not, not to be sneezed at. That's very significant. But honestly, the real problem is people who don't complete college, don't get the earnings benefits that come with completion, and a lot of the defaults that we see are actually people who have relatively small amounts of debt, $5,000, $10,000 in debt. Those are the re- people who really get badly tripped up. And that goes back to you know my big emphasis on really, really pushing harder on graduation rates, because if we can raise graduation rates, we'll get many fewer people who end up in that bad position, and we'll get many more people who get all the financial benefits. At the same time, though, you do acknowledge that, you know, for some people, uh, they might feel that college is not for them, that they prefer to enter the workforce, that they uh, are that they, they feel like they'd be better off, uh, you know, just starting on their own fresh out of high school. And that you make an argument that those people shouldn't just go into their jobs and and just kind of, you know, progress, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, with uh, through them without you know, any sort of plan that you, you make a, a, a very passionate argument, I felt, for the value of an education in those jobs, not necessarily a college education, although it can be it, it can include that, but a, 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 a quest for credentials that provide them with increased benefits over the course of their career. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, it really is important. I mean, that is that is a big chunk of the book is, you know, the subtitle is College Credentials and Connections. And by credentials, I'm really talking about all the alternatives to uh, to, to college that have become very popular. Um, the number of those uh, options is really exploding. You know, there's, um, I think there's a non- nonprofit called Credential Engine that identifies more than 1 million credentials overall. And three quarters of those are not traditional degrees. Um, so there are a lot of people who want something different. And, you know, the challenge is really how to separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, what is good and what's really not worth your time? Um, these, you know, are popular in part because they tend to be much less expensive. They tend to be shorter. They tend to be much more focused. Um, and all of that sort of sounds appealing to many people. But the challenge is that there's a, it's a real mixed bag in terms of the kinds of outcomes for jobs. And what that sort of means is the on the positive side, there are a bunch of programs that are the, the, the term they're known by is sectoral training programs. And those mostly focus on really in-demand occupations in sectors like healthcare, information technology, manufacturing, financial services. And there's some very well 
regarded programs that have had very serious, rigorous evaluations, places like Europe that do sort of short-term training um, where some skills training and they also give people some very practical job placements. And those can lead to jobs where there's there's really there's really a lot of demand, but also what's really key is there has to be a career ladder. So you want to have a job where you can start off, you know, hopefully do well, maybe acquire some additional skills along the way, maybe take a part-time class. If you're lucky, your employer will offer you that option. And then maybe get some kind of a promotion or build up some skills that would make you attractive to another employer in, in the same sector. The challenge is that some short-term programs are much more like one and done. They can be kind of a dead end. So there are some programs, you know, that are sort of known for this, unfortunately, certified nursing assistant or pharmacy tech, where there might be a little bit of a short-term earnings boost from a, a very short-term credential, but there isn't necessarily too much of a career ladder. You know, you're kind of stuck and that really is not going to help you over the long term. So I think that people need to be thinking in terms of the ladder, the progression. And like I said, this mixture of the broad skills as well as the targeted skills that they can build up over time. And, you know, of course, the, the networks that they're going to need to figure out, you know, where there are opportunities and, you know, how they can, you know, get people to, you know, help make the case that they're they're worthy of you know of getting a, a job to and that gets to part of your book that I, I for me was was one of my favorites which 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 to me shows that this book is about uh is really not just for the you know the person who's just about to graduate high school and thinking about their career or the person who's about to counsel them you you talk about this concept of stackable credentials and you, you you've, you've basically outlined it just there but it's this idea that over the course of your career you are you know you're building credentials that take you step by step. And it requires a, a, a lot. It requires a person to be very actively engaged with their, their progress that they're, they're not just doing their job there, but they're also thinking, you know, they're also, as you just noted, they're investigating the next steps. They're considering what else is out there. They're, 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 they're open opportunities They make it clear that they're open opportunities and how over time those credentials, and, and they, sometimes they might lead back to college. Sometimes they might lead to more specialized programs, but from those you get to a, a, a very, you know, well-renumerated career. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And, you know, I had some interesting you know, interviews for the, the book with some students, for example, at the Community College of Rhode Island, where they um, they have some really interesting programs that are pretty short term. They're very targeted on specific jobs. In fact, a number of their programs are funded by industry so that they don't they don't have they don't cost anything for the students because they're really looking for highly trained uh, workers in, say, advanced manufacturing, for example. But the, the, the Megan Hughes, who, who was then the president of, of Community College of Rhode Island, when I talked to her, she said she really tries very hard to make sure these non-degree programs, even though they, they don't lead to like a, a full associate degree, they do come with credit. So the idea is that you can get what you need in the short term to help get ahead at, at work, but you can also come back to school and over time, you can try to build up more of a, a full associate credential, something that might let you transfer back into a four-year program. So I think what the really desirable vision that a lot of people have is to try not to see these as completely separate pathways, but to try to make sure there's connections so that whatever age you are, whatever stage of your of your career you're in, you can be thinking about they, they, the jargon is reskilling or upskilling, but basically trying to build on what you have to get ready for what's ahead. Now, we've been talking up until this point, we might think of as 
institutional uh, uh, tools or, or institutional approaches towards uh, you know, developing and for your you know your skills for your career. You also, though, and you've already made reference to this, talk about the the need for social capital. And I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate a bit upon this and how it is it, it, just as vital to career success and and building a career as is the more formal process of acquiring an education. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is I, I'll tell you. You know, I mentioned earlier, I had. Earlier in my career as a a higher ed journalist, I had focused a lot on what was happening in colleges, not so much on the workforce. I got interested in the workforce, but then I started learning about social capital, and it was really fascinating to me. I got to know a woman. She's actually someone I interviewed for for my own podcast a few years ago, Ame Eubanks-Davis, who is an entrepreneur. She's a social entrepreneur. She founded Braven, which is a nonprofit that focuses on getting first-generation college graduates into really good first jobs. So they get off onto a good trajectory. And she focuses a lot on social capital. And so what this really is, is the definition is it's the ability to access and mobilize networks. And it turns out that if you're trying to build a career, networks are just vital. You know, there was some really important research, gosh, 50 years ago, uh, a sociologist named Mark Granovetter, he interviewed men in a Boston suburb, and he asked them, how did you learn about new job opportunities? And when he asked them whether the person who told them about their current job was a friend, he kept on hearing the same thing over and over. Oh, no, no, just an acquaintance. And he wrote this article called The Strength of Weak Ties, which showed that people don't just find out about jobs from their inner circle. They find jobs when the circle widens. And that became one of the most cited articles ever in social science. So what this really just tells us, and there's been there's a huge study through LinkedIn data last year that really confirmed this finding, which is a lot of people are getting jobs not through their best friends or their family, but they're getting jobs through a slightly wider circle. It's the strength of weak ties. So if you are a first-generation college student, you're somebody who did not grow up with a lot of inherited advantages, a lot of low-income uh, students fall into this category, you really need to think about building networks and you know this old kind of line that you know everyone's parents say it's not just you know what you know it's who you know there's really some truth to that you know you need to think about building people um you know in in your education you know in your all your your activities you know people who get to know you and who you know can be helpful to you and you can be helpful to them over time because that's how you know People will help get their kid a, a summer internship in college or a part-time job in college. And that really takes all of the, the rhetoric that we hear about improving your education, which is absolutely true, but also adds a practical edge, which is you've got to get the right education and credentials, but you also have to have the right connections. You distill this down at the end of your book to the eight career arts. And, and I was wondering if you could perhaps talk about how it came down to those eight, and 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 what those eight, uh, in, including ones that 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 encompass more than just one of the uh, three areas that you've discussed, how it is that they you know can really help people uh, in terms of building a, a successful and, and rewarding career. Sure. Well, you know, it's it's a I really appreciate the question, and partly. You know, with, with this book, you know, I tried to keep it a fairly short, accessible guidebook. I really wanted to reach people. I especially would like it to reach um, pe- people, you know, who are who are making practical decisions, who are trying to learn about their options. And that could include, you know, high school graduates, college graduates, and of course, the, the, the high school counselors, the teachers, and the parents 
who are really invested in trying to help those students succeed. Um, and so what I realized is at the same time, of course, I, I would hope to influence people in the, the policy conversation, you know, people who read, you know, publications like the New York Times or the Atlantic, you know, that's part of the audience. But there's also a very, uh, a very practical audience of people who, who need to make these kinds of, they need guide, they need guidance to make these decisions. So when I got to my last chapter, I was thinking about summing up my conclusions. And I realized this would be the place to try and distill a lot of this into these eight different lessons. And, you know, I actually, there's a wonderful, uh, my publisher, Princeton University Press, created this beautiful infographic that actually sums them up. And they, they even, I love this. I didn't know they were going to do this. They just made a TikTok uh, <laughs> video, which uses the, the graphics and it's, it's gorgeous. And it's got some kind of what, I, what seems to me like is very, you know, very hip music that I didn't know, but that it's really, it's sort of like it's geared toward, you know, younger people who um, this is a great way to give them at least the kind of the headlines about some of the information. So, you know, some of it is the, the basic stuff like, yes, college is worthwhile. And I kind of explain why, but some of it is what I've mentioned earlier. Like one of the career arts is if you're going to pursue a non-degree option, which I totally understand. A lot of people don't want degrees right away. Uh, or there's all kinds of reasons they have practical goals, but they really have to think very purposefully about how to build education, skills, and networks. And by the same token, you know, another one of the career arts is seek a both and combination of broad and targeted skills. So it's trying to get away from this, this false choice I've talked about, this either or, like it's either you're going to go to college or you're going to do something that's going to be useful for a job. That's not how the world works. Um, you really need to think in terms of not in terms of either or, but in terms of both and. Um, and then, you know, I talk about social capital and I suppose the, 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 the final point I make in these, these eight career arts, the takeaways is, um, prepare for the world as it is, not as you wish it were. And, you know, my, my son saw that recently, my adult, you know, he's in his twenties. My son said, he said that he thought it sounded a little gloomy and I really don't want it to sound gloomy. I just want to make sure that we are serving young people well by telling them, you know, yes, there are all kinds of reformers who have, you know, ideas about how, you know, we shouldn't be using degrees so much, we should be hiring based on skills. Um, and, you know, that may, that may eventually yield some good results. But when I see the evidence right now, what I see is like just a few weeks ago on LinkedIn did a big study, there were, there's like two or 300% increase in the number of job listings in some sectors that have no degree requirements. So you might think, okay, we're in a whole brave new world. No degrees are required. But then they also looked at what about actual people actually getting hired without degrees? And there, instead of a 200 or 300% increase, you know what the increase was? It was 3%. So there's just a huge disconnect between what people are talking about in this kind of forward-looking kind of reform community about skills-based hiring and what's actually happening. And I just feel like we're doing a disservice to, to, to people. And that's particularly true for people without a lot of advantages, particularly true for people for, for, who, are, um, who are Black or Latino, who still have lower rates of college attendance, lower rates of college completion. They really need higher education. So I think when I say prepare for the world as it is, you need to, to recognize that that's where the evidence is right now. And I just think it's smart to be ready for what you're going to need. Well, we appreciate the time you've taken to speak with us. But before we go, could you tell us what you're working on now? 
Oh, sure. Well, you know, of course, I'm keeping pretty busy, um, you know, getting ready, uh, you know, to telling people about the book and doing a lot of, you know, speaking and some 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 articles here and there with book excerpts. But I'm actually very excited about a new project that I'm beginning to talk to some foundations about to try and get funding. And also, I hope to start talking to publishers about to try and get a publisher, which would be sort of a global version of the book that um, that's coming out right now, basically a sort of global version of the career arts that's going to look at other countries, because many countries are facing the same concerns that we have about, you know, concern about whether or not the kind of education people are getting after high school or after secondary school, is it really preparing them for the workforce? Is there a skills gap? How should that get filled? And as you can imagine, lots of countries, you know, whether it's New Zealand experimenting with micro-credentials, Germany, which is kind of the poster child for um, for apprenticeships, um, a place like Singapore has a whole new initiative called Skills Future, which is giving uh, the entire population a certain amount of money every year to spend on upgrading their skills. I sort of want to go to a bunch of different countries and do some case studies of what's out there with a view to what's working, what's not working, and what could we learn from in the United States. That sounds like a fantastic project. I wish you the best of luck with it. Well, thank you so much. And a uh, great conversation, Mark. I really appreciate you having me. Well, Ben, thank you and have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. You too.